You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This episode is brought to you by Inspirio Enterprises. Inspirio helps schools increase enrollments through innovative and cutting-edge admissions and marketing tactics. If you're interested in learning more, go to inspirio.com edup to see special offers exclusively for EdUp Experience listeners. On this episode of the EdUp Experience, please welcome our guest, Ken Butel. Ken is Senior Vice President of Enrollment Services at National Education Partners. Ken brings over 20 years of marketing and recruiting experience to higher education, and he's on the show today to talk about marketing enrollment, technology, and the value of online program managers. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is Elvin Freitas. This is Joseph Wistio. And this is Elizabeth Lipa. And on the line, we have Ken Butel. Ken, how you doing? I'm doing really well. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. As well as can be expected, Ken. Thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> I knew Joe yeah. was going to say that. <laughs> and listen, and listen, just a heads up for, for everyone listening, Ken, for I have a four-year-old, so if she comes in screaming, <laughs> we're going to try to keep going with it. Uh, we're going to try our best. I'm sure a lot of people understand because of what's happening now, but I have to work from home. So I'm trying my best to, you know, give her, like, snacks. <laughs> and so she's been quiet for, like, an hour. So we're gonna uh, I'd there, like to, so. I also have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and so this is going to be as organic as it gets, guys. And, uh, for, for, for all of our listeners out there, if you have zero disruption in your living area, then you are one of the lucky ones. And so oh, if there are screaming kids or a lawnmower in the background, just know that we're all in our houses and the audio will improve as we get back to our offices. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Screen time is like out the window with my son. He can have YouTube all day because a five-year-old that keeps him quiet, <laughs> I'm down for it. <laughs> that's right computer time is where it's at i feel bad you yeah. know what they say is if you put your child in front of a television and then you put on the subtitles you're basically teaching them reading <laughs> I, I believe it i think we can go ahead and end the uh, end the podcast with that i know we're good that's, that's the most valuable piece of <laughs> mic drop <laughs> done i love it so ken where are you located right now I, i'm sorry i didn't hear that no, where, where are you located right now? I am located in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, nice and sunny over there, right? It is. It's not hot yet, oh, so it's the perfect perfect time of year. Oh, fantastic. Okay, Ken, so let's uh, jump right into it. And, um, you know, what I want to know is a, a little bit more about enrollment services um, at National Education Partners. I know you're the vice president. Sure of enrollment services there at National Education. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, your role there, maybe the history of uh, National Education Partners and, and kind of your specialty. Sure. Well, uh, it'll be a pretty short conversation, but National Education Partners was born last January 2019. Um, I worked before as part of uh, North Central University, uh, which is located in Phoenix. Uh, and they are primarily master's and doctoral students who can get their master's or PhD program 100% online. Uh, the organization was purchased by the National University System out of California. And at the time of purchase, they split the organization into two operations. One, North became a nonprofit university. 
uh, and National Education Partners was born with the premise to be able to serve in an OPM fashion to support their system internally first. So think of centralized operational services uh, across their three divisions, and then ultimately with the goal of looking external on how to support uh, other universities across the country. Gotcha. And just real quick follow-up for those who don't know, OPM stands for? Online Program Management. Got it. Okay. Thanks, Ken. But we're doing, you know, the interesting thing with us is we're doing both online as well as physical campuses. Hmm. Interesting. Ken, this is Joe. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Uh, good, good. Uh, we've been connected on LinkedIn, I think, for a long time as as an as now fellow uh, a North Central University alumni. I've yep. uh, completed yep. my uh, doctoral degree there in uh, December. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, somebody asked me what reading I've done lately, and my answer was absolutely none. I plan not yeah. to read for quite some nor, time. Nor, uh, nor should but, you. Right. Uh, <laughs> but um, for those that don't know, and maybe some of our listeners do, Ken, I were uh, most recently on uh, a part of a uh, webinar on uh, really the topic of transitioning on ground um, operational enrollment marketing uh, student service stuff uh, to yeah. an online environment given our uh, COVID 19 world. Um, we had, uh, you know, somewhere close to 400 people sign up and close to 300 attend. And so I thought that would really be a good place to start. Uh, I wasn't able to be on there, I was just able to provide some. some um, some tips, and I think uh, the other participants were able to give those tips to the, to the crowd. But it, you know, that's really a big and they topic. Were, and right they now. were and they were brilliant tips, I have to say. No, oh, well, thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> we'll uh, appreciate that. But uh, I, you know, that's a good place to start. I mean, obviously, we're literally talking to each other from a disrupted world right now. Uh, mm -hmm. It can't be more timely uh, right now to talk about transitioning operations to online because of uh, all of the trouble the universities uh, are going through right now. What were the big themes coming from, you know, sort of the on-ground to online transitions when it came to recruit, recruitment and marketing and so on that you could bring to the table here from that, uh, from that webinar? Yeah, I think I would tell you that I think the big themes were um, we're so used to seeing students face-to-face. -face, what do we do? and How do we do it online if we've never done that before? That was definitely one of the big themes. How do you stay compliant? Uh, from a virtual perspective to make sure that what you're sharing with students and what you're asking students to do, you know, is legal, ethical, and above board. Um, and then what are some of the technologies to really support your staff and team members to be able to effectively service students? And then the fourth one is, wow, how do we get our courses online? And I would say those are the four main topics that really came out of an entire conversation. And I think uh, a lot of really pointed questions. You know, if you are in a place today where you are not able to service students virtually, you're, you're behind. And there are still some schools, which I was surprised about, um, which mm -hmm. weren't doing that at all. And I would say, you know, even if you're, you know, kind of ground focused and face-to-face -face focused, there is still a space, you know, in your recruitment operations or student services operations to take part in what you do virtually. As a follow-up to that, do you, when you look at, when you look at the transition, okay, so there's some schools yeah. that, I think there's some schools are operating fully online, I know that for sure, um, some are sort of in a hybrid state, some are um, 
haven't fully embraced online uh, yeah. education in its entirety. Um, what you know, there's a there's a there's a stigma that sometimes comes with online education um, from let's call it traditional higher education, um, yeah. where you know you, you you can't do this online, you can't do that online, and now everybody's yeah. been forced to do it. <laughs> do you think well, when you think about the future uh, and what the future holds? I know this is a big question, but do you think that yeah. people are starting? Do you think they're still? Re yeah, I I do. I mean, if you look back in time, you know, and I sorry. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. No, I was to say, if you look back, you know, in time, and I don't know how many of you on this call have been in higher ed, but I feel like I'm one of the dinosaurs. I'm hitting, you know, call it 27 years. Uh, in the higher education space and was very early on kind of what was going on in uh, online education. And it was very much seen, uh, there was a stigma around it. I remember, you know, listening to people on phone calls, talking to prospective students, is this quality? Uh, how do I even know it's even the value? And quality, 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 quality was all from the consumer's perspective on all the incoming phone calls from people that were interested in it, but didn't know how to do it. Now let's fast forward to where we are now. Those those questions are never asked anymore from a prospective student because so many universities across the country are doing it and some large name brands, you know, think of, you know, ASU, huge online presence, huge online population. Traditional ed was a little slower to get there, uh, but they've been there. And it's, and I think it really is now a legitimate uh, learning platform for people to utilize to help service students no matter where they live. I think the challenge has always been, you know, and, and technology's kind of grown up too. I would say early on, if you look back, it was literally text under glass, right? And you see where it evolves today. And if you're in any of the rich academic online platforms that are out there, LMSs, learning management systems that are available for universities, there is, you know, virtual labs for people to participate in. Uh, there's a lot of rich visual materials to support students' uh, learning styles, whether it's visual, kinesthetic, auditory. And so it's, and, and you can see that the learning objectives and outcomes are tied to the courses. Uh, and it's become much more sophisticated than what it was 15 years ago. And so, yes, mm -hmm. there's still, uh, for some universities, a stigma. Uh, but I would tell uh, any university that's like, oh, we can't do online education. I, I honestly believe that if universities aren't willing to do both, they're going to die a slow death. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Great point, Elizabeth. Yeah, I mean, I was excited, Ken, to read your bio because when I started to scan through your background, I noticed that you started, um, well, worked many years ago where I started as a, uh, a worker or as an employee in higher ed. My first job was working as an admissions counselor for University of Phoenix some 20 years yeah. ago. And I was yeah. like, wow, that's so awesome. We have that in common. Yeah. So I, I, I know that I, I agree with you that a lot of the stigma and some of the things that you, questions I used to hear as a rep on the phone, you know, yeah. tw some 20 years ago, those um, questions, a lot of those questions have been answered and have gone away as people are becoming more familiar with online learning. And now that I'm an online faculty and I work in instructional design, I'm on the other side of it from the student perspective. But to kind of pivot back around to how you advise um, in terms of how your company will in the future, advise um, institutions and colleges and universities from the enrollment management side, admissions and marketing and things of that nature, operations. Mm -hmm. What would you advise or how would you guide 
um, universities, what would you tips would you give them as far as moving forward, integrating online um, learning, integrating marketing aspects in terms of the online technologies and some of the marketing yeah. um, elements that are out there as far as social media, what would be some of your biggest gems of knowledge and wisdom and advice that you could provide for some of these schools that are going to be, once we get through this crisis, how are they going to be able to move forward? Because we know that we, we were already going through an enrollment decline and things will probably get a little bit more bumpy in the next few months. What can they do sure. to kind of stay ahead and, and kind of keep themselves afloat moving forward? Well, and I think that's a great question and I think you're going to appreciate this since you're doing instructional design is there's two elements that I think universities should look at very quickly one uh, don't try to reinvent the wheel uh, there's a lot okay. of products out there that are excellent that can support you one of them is find a commercial LMS that has proven success and there's several of them out there um, you know we use D2L we've used canvas mm -hmm. we've used blackboard so you know mm -hmm. finding the appropriate LMS for your school I think is step number one uh, and the number the, taking notes here again yeah that's okay <laughs> and I would say the second one around that is finding instructional designers that know online learning that can bring the best practices of online learning so taking your on-ground course curriculum and being able to map it online with appropriate learning outcomes and activities to engage students are important. Don't mm. do what a lot of universities that I've seen in my past is basically take what you're doing on ground and it becomes a text under glass experience. That's like mm -hmm. 20 years ago. So mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. say if you want to be on the forefront, find instructional design experience and knowledge that knows the best in online education and find a commercial LMS. Start there. Good. Make sure your product gotcha. is sound. Gotcha. Start with the product. Make sure that start with a product. Top notch. Don't don't start recruiting people into some something because it's going to ruin. And we've seen universities do that, right? They don't have a good <laughs> product or learning management technology, and they start recruiting students, and it creates a bad brand image and perception. And then guess what? You're going to end up with retention issues. I'm so glad you said that because I, I feel like you're absolutely right and that's a really great point. Sometimes it, I feel like in higher ed, we put the cart before the horse. We're so focused on admissions, admissions, we got to get students in here, but then the students don't stay because the students are like, what is this? This, yes. is, this is not what I want for myself. Yes. Yeah, good point. Absolutely. It's completely pointless. Yeah. That, that, and I think that's true, Liz. I think that's so true for, 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 um, let's just say in people who manage enrollment that don't understand uh, because so much work is putting into recruiting students that yeah. you want to keep the ones that you have because it takes Absolutely. pressure off of the work mm -hmm. you have to put on the front end. If you're just shoving, you know, I hate to say yeah. shoving them, but if you're putting in student after well, student, yeah. student and they leave, yeah. you're just putting more pressure on yourself to do the same job over and over again. So, Absolutely. you know, I think that's a really good point. But Ken, Absolutely. you know, I jump in real fast here and, um, so, so just to clarify, National Education Partners is an OPM servicing North Central, or does it serve North Central and National together? Yeah, good question. North Central University, National University, and uh, JFK University. Uh, there's one other, which is City College of Seattle, which we do not support today, but maybe in the future. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so how many total students within the national system. I'm assuming it's the national system, right? Uh, yeah, we'll call point. it the national universe. Sure. Uh, there's close to about 35,000 students across um, all of their brands, um, undergraduate all the way up to doctoral. 
it's incredible. And that's a big chunk of, uh, that's a big chunk of people, 35,000 students. And so w w as you, and if I, if I'm correct here, uh, you work to expand national education partner services to other universities and colleges outside of the national system. Would that be correct? Yeah, we will. What I would say is um, we want to get all of the right technology and systems and infrastructure in place before we ever look external. Um, and, you know, a lot of the OPMs in the space have had, got, you know, if you've watched anything in this industry, that's kind of the, what I call the new trend um, yeah. that's happening in this OPM space. A lot of them are for-profit uh, enterprises, which have created a bad reputation in the deals they with colleges and universities. And so we're kind of sitting back and going to take care of our own family first before we take care of other families <laughs> mm -hmm. and yeah. make sure that we learn from the lessons of others um, before we say, yes, we're ready to service other universities externally. So right now we're really building out our technology stack to support it. You know, we have multiple systems on multiple products. And so we're creating a common platform, common, you know, definitions, common operating systems through the whole student life cycle. And that's probably going to be, a, I would say, 18-month to two-year project. Um, yep. And then once that's kind of complete and we feel that, hey, we've got things under control within the system, we'll look external to support others. Ken, it's what so, do you think is the advantage of uh, – uh, I'm sorry. Um, no, go ahead. Over you, Joe. But what do you think is the advantage? Because this was a, a discussion um, that Joe had brought up a few weeks ago, and we were all talking about it, kind of weighed in on it. Why would a school choose an OPM as opposed to developing? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what are the pros and cons of a school seeking out services of an OPM, or later when you guys enter that um, sector, or just kind of using mm -hmm. their own resources and trying to figure out from the ground up how to develop their own online program? Like, can you kind of give us the insight into that? Because a lot of people question that, and and, and I think sometimes sure. it's not clear. Sure. I mean, our goal ultimately at, with, within the OPM right now for um, national universities is reduce the cost of education for students. Um, and the way we are able to do that is by providing scale and proven processes and systems that drive results. Uh, and, you know, if you look across kind of the organization, we have mark, you know, we have a marketing group, we have an analytics group, we have a data research group. Uh, we have um, course content development group that, you know, have very uh, highly talented uh, instructional design course designers that can, you know, make really great stuff happen online. Um, and so we have the full suite of services with the experience. And the ultimate goal and why I think a university would want to do that is you don't have to invest in all the infrastructure to build that out. You can con contract with us. We can build out the best experience for your school. And we can help with the whatever. And it's what I would say it's a pick and choose. You don't have to take the whole Megillah. You may say, hey, you know, national, uh, national education partners, I just want your help with the instructional design component. Or mm -hmm. I just want your help with the enrollment services component because we've already mastered the online education. It helps with scale and ultimately mm -hmm. cost. Gotcha. And that's passed down to the students in tuition savings, I'm assuming. Correct. That's our goal. We want to be able to reduce the cost of education for students. Gotcha. So uh, th this Ken, this Elvin again. So I want to jump in because I want to go back to something you mentioned, which I have been seeing and reading myself. Is I feel like OPM is getting a bad rap. It's kind of yeah. synonymous now with for profit. So the industry yeah. is kind of getting to the point where people believe it's sketchy. So let's go, let's <laughs> dive a little deeper into why do you think that is? Why do you think uh, you know OPM now is like a bad word? 
And what's going on with the industry? How can that be changed? I mean, first of all, I don't know much about OPMs, to be honest with you. So is there like yeah. a crediting body? Is there some type of a, a body that oversees all the PMs? You have to go through a process. I mean, kind of talk us through how that. How does that work? What do you think? Yeah, um, I think, well, I'll, I'll answer a couple of questions. And OPMs do not necessarily have to go through a process, an accreditation process, et cetera. That still sits with the university. Now, there are legal requirements that we have to follow in order to be able to service the university, like arm's length agreements, meaning that you, that that university has control over the academic, financial aid, acceptance of students in the university. We execute on their policies, process, and procedures, and we will follow those. And if they want to use us as a consulting group to help them figure out how to become more efficient, we can do that. Um, I think they also get bad wraps primarily around the contracts between the university um, uh, and the OPM. Some of them have rev share, uh, revenue sharing between institutions, which is always a question mark when you have Title IV funding involved. Uh, there's Absolutely. others that just have a standard contract and a cost, you know, kind of like a retainer fee to use the services um, of, a, of an OPM. But I think it's really when I, what I've my reading has been centered around where it gets sketchy is around rev share and the percentage of rev share that goes to the OPM versus the university. So basically there's a higher percentage that goes to the, or it's just, it's the percentage is too high. And the percentage and, is perceived as too high or yeah. whatever. <laughs> a lot of that Got it. Well, and a lot of that has to, this is Joe, a lot of that has to do with, with the, I think to Ken's point, it was always due to the um, how that university, how desperate they were to to enter the online space, and you can have somebody yeah. really, really help you, but they're going to charge you at a real premium to get you there fast. And yeah. over time, that's difficult to maintain. Um, it's easy to maintain in the growth stage, but way harder to maintain in, in any stage of decline. And I think that's where you know a, a services that you know where. Uh, sort of a rethink of the OPM like from Ken's organization is going to really change the industry in, in that way. Yep. Agreed. Um, Ken, again, Joe again here, and, um, you know, I going back just, just a bit um, to the whole disruption thing we're experiencing right now in, in uh, keeping it timely. We do have uh, I, I, a lot of listeners that come from traditional higher education. Mm -hmm. And by traditional, I mean, um, you know, university, starting school in spring, summer, fall, winter, so on and so forth. But yeah. you come from a group of, you are now serving a group of institutions that I would say have non-traditional educational structures. Could you give us sort of a once over, you know, um, pick your institution or maybe an overview of, of, of all, you know, how often are your start dates, how long are the courses? You know, sure. talk to me as if I was somebody coming from a traditional institution that only started school twice a year, and now I've entered the online space, and I really have no understanding of how quickly things can move in the online space. How do I get more yeah. start dates? How, how long should classes be, and so on? Yeah. Well, I say we we have, uh, so if you were asking me, I would say um, the first thing that you have to do if you're going to enter the online space is you have to understand that it's a highly competitive market. And so um, you have to be able to create a student experience that's going to be different than a traditional student experience. And I'm going to use probably a lot of business terms, uh, sales terms uh, that traditional ed might go, oh, my God, we could never do that. But that's okay because I'm going to talk to you that way. 
first thing you need to understand is that you got to get people off the market as quickly as you can. Every time a student that you pay for, because you're going to be paying marketing dollars to generate inquiries into your institution, they're going to be probably be uh, looking at two or three other institutions at the mm -hmm. same time. And think of it this way. If you go out and buy any product, um, when you're excited about the product, you're more apt to buy it. But if I have, are you going to be as excited in four months or six months about that product if you're made to wait? Probably not. And there's going to be another person that's going to come from another university and talk to that student that has a start date next week, next month, next quarter, whatever, sooner than yours, similar program, and they're going to go. So you have to be ready to take students off the market as quickly as possible. Uh, you have to have technology to support them. Uh, and you have to have a good experience for that student to be able to interact and become part of your university community virtually. So it's not just uh, calling people, doing enrollment stuff over the phone, and putting them into a class. It's also about creating a whole student experience that you want them to have that reflects the brand of your institution. Uh, class length, I would say we're all over the map. We have four-week classes, eight-week classes, and 12-week classes. I would say length isn't as important as is frequency of uh, start date um, and making sure, again, back to my original point, get students off the market as quickly as you can because there's somebody out there in the online space that can do it probably quicker and faster than a traditional university. And now you're going to be moving in that space competing against them. So you have to be prepared um, for that. You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Remember to go to the EdUp Experience website at www.edupexperience.com to listen to our past episodes, including amazing guests talking about a multitude of topics in higher education today. That's www.edupexperience.com. Now, back to it. So, Ken, it's Elvin again. What what are the universities needing right now? What are colleges? What are you hearing? What are they, what is it the, the number one thing that they need from folks like you to help them that have never done on? You said some folks have never been online, and you were you were surprised. I'm surprised you were surprised. <laughs> and that doesn't yeah, yeah, surprise yeah. me to hear that they were not online. But what is it that they need from you? What what are you hearing from everyone? Um, I'm thinking what I'm hearing from everybody is just a path to get there. Uh, and how quickly they can get there, and tell me the top three technologies that I need to put in place today to make it happen. Now, unfortunately, some of those technologies don't happen at the snap of a finger, but that's what I am hearing right now from, you know, kind of my peers out there in the non-traditional space. Like, I just need a roadmap on how to get there. And when we were on that conference uh, call last week talking about working remotely, those were a lot of the questions. Just, I need to know how to get there if we've never done it. And the good news is, you know, I think there's a lot of people in our network that really want to support all universities across the country, because when one university fails, it's not good for us as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. And I think people are just looking for connections and help. But I would say from my perspective, it's how do we get there? What are the technologies? Are you willing to help support and train us and get our people up and running? Uh, and yeah, I'm absolutely willing to help anybody out there that needs, needs support. But that's what I'm seeing from... Uh, uh, from folks in the, in the space. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, how, you know, a lot of people are like, how are students reacting? I can tell you it's been very interesting. 
uh, masters and graduate students, uh, we haven't seen a blip in the radar from um, a performance interest demand perspective. Undergraduate, we are starting to see um, a little bit of, I would say, softness. And, and typically, my primary indicators around are we going to run into an issue tends to be I look at, I look at uh, the website traffic. Website traffic to me is a direct uh, view into consumer demand. Um, not that they're even inquiring into the institutions, but I would call it your, your traffic, the web traffic that you're getting to your website. We started to see at the undergrad level about a 10% decline in people that are interested. And at the undergraduate space, there's kind of three things that we're hearing. There's those people they are like, hey, I'm at home anyways. It's a great time. Uh, there's a bigger chunk, depending on your student demographic that we're faced with, which is, I would call it um, mid-career, 27 to 35 age group with a couple of kids at home, maybe a single mother, maybe a married couple uh, that are like, I can't do anything right now because I'm having to do homeschooling. <laughs> wow. So you have that, you have that population yeah. that I can see that's what's impacting us. Uh, and then I would say the third population is what I would call if anybody in any universities out there, uh, our military, the military population's on hold right now because they're being deployed to help, you know, for example, in New York City and, 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 and areas around the country. What I don't know is how it's impacting. I don't have good visibility in what I call the 18 to 20-year-old uh, mindset right now and where they're at. Hmm. But that's what we're starting to see at the different kind of academic educational levels. Um, that are that are impacting kind of trending and where we see potential risk, you know, because people are going to like, is this going to help education? Or is it going to hurt education? Yeah. The good thing with education is it's typically, um, I would call it recession resistant, um, is it's usually when it, there's high employment, employers are helping support their, you know, staff going back to school. If we're in a recession, people want to uh, kind of retool. So um, the good news is I don't think education as a whole is going to go completely sideways. We might see some hiccups, but I, I think still it's going to remain strong. Ken, I just wanted to jump in on that point, and thank you for answering that question because that's actually very insightful, some of that data that you've been able to gather from the website traffic. Just to kind of piggyback on that, because you talked about the mid-career and, and some of the issues and, and things that may prevent someone from necessarily in, investing time right now and pursuing um, education. What do you think about this trend in terms of a lot of us have been talking that work in higher ed about the certificate programs or the diploma programs or some of the stackable credentials? Do you feel like that's an area that universities and colleges can start to look toward the, the traditional schools? Sometimes have been a little bit hesitant about entering that market. And then for you guys, how do you guys get buy-in overall in terms of when you're offering some of these services as far as looking at how schools can mobilize technology or mobilize online learning, what are some of the strategies that you would encourage institutions when they're rolling out some of these new initiatives? How can they get everyone to get on the same page and make sure that faculty and staff and administration and everybody is really gung-ho for bringing in all of these different changes for the future? You're asking, that's, a, that's, asking, that's a big question. Um, I would say there's a couple of things. One, I would say when you were talking about credentials, certificates, Mm -hmm. um, I would say that works extremely well um, with a younger demographic up to about 25. They care um, because I think there's an immediate need for gratification. And right. so micro-credentialing along their uh, path 
is extremely important, but also gets them in kind of the journey of lifelong learning. And some of those micro-credentials, uh, as they get into their industry or their profession, I, I do believe will ultimately lead them back to uh, a degree program at some point right. in their kind of lifelong journey. So I would say, sure. yes, do them. I would say when you get into kind of the, the um, uh, 25 to 35 group, I would say degrees are still viable. Um, mm. But you've also seen a lot of these, what do they call them, uh, tech um, um, groups kind of start up where you can learn programming and nine mm -hmm. months boot and camps. all of that. I boot boot camps. camps. There mm -hmm. they are. I forgot that. Boot camps are something that's also popular that a lot of universities are starting to partner with folks that are in a degree program with these boot camps to help them become immediately employable. So I think mm -hmm. there's value there. Now, as far as bringing institutions to, together to get on the same page, I think that starts with the top and it also mm -hmm. starts with your culture. You know, with institutions that have high faculty involvement and it's a, uh, there's a faculty senate that really leads that charge, what I would say is you've got to start there with your faculty senate to get them on the same page and on the same point um, because at the end of the day, the student body is what pays everybody uh, and yeah. keeps revenue into the institution. So they have to have a core belief that utilizing technology to engage students and learners through completion is important. If they don't, you're sunk. Now, if mm -hmm. you're on the other side of that, where it, there's, <clears throat> it's very heavily administratively run by, you know, I call it a more, uh, the president has a lot of control or influence on your faculty senate as well as the operation. It's going to start there. Um, and you have to start with, I would call your cabinet or your senior level team to all get on the same point and the same page and make some key decisions on what your next steps are gonna be. Otherwise, what you don't wanna have happen, which I've heard from some friends, is within institutions, you might have the operational units all running to get on board with you know, recruiting students virtually or doing student services virtually or financially, but you don't have the academic side of the house willing to support that. Um, so it does absolutely start at the top. Gotcha, great point. Yeah, so Kim, before I ask my, my last two questions, uh, Joe, Liz, any other questions? No, no, I, no other questions, but, but just a comment that Ken, Ken's, you know, uh, um, known as a very knowledgeable resource uh, in the um, marketing and enrollment world. And I just want to say thanks for coming on, Ken, and sharing your insights with us. It, it's going to be interesting um, for, for those of us that were have years and years of enrollment experience there's there's a difference in my opinion between sort of proactively recruiting for students and, and the reactive recruiting and a lot of institutions that are reactively recruiting where they you know sort of students just coming to them whether it's due to reputation or because it's yeah. in the area all of a sudden you're to your point about 18 to 24 you know I'm 18 years old and I was going to go to over where Liz lives somewhere over to the University of Florida and I'm yeah, in yeah. California I may not be going now because of, of the coronavirus and being at home. Yeah. So I might, so who's recruiting me? You know, now there's, there's a lot of schools online where I could sit in my house and be safe and, and go to school and some big universities um, or, or even mid-sized universities never had to proactively recruit to day after day after day. And I think that's going to be a big change. Just wanted to get your thought on that before, uh, mm. before we let you go. Yeah, I think um, that's a really great point. So if you've kind of operated like um, if you build it, they will come. Uh, and that's <laughs> been the way it's operated for uh, a long time. I would say th there's a couple of things one you could do. Like 
<laughs> immediately, you could say, oh gosh, this is, we don't have the infrastructure to really actively recruit folks. There are um, lots of organizations out there that could help you very quickly, meaning you could subcontract part of your enrollment processing externally if you need to actively recruit quickly. Um, the other thing, if you have online learning, you know, to your point, let's say if, you, if they have online learning, even that student that's sitting in California that's going to go to Florida, you know what, let's start them in an online class and transition them to the campus. Um, I, I think those are a couple of like just really Great quick point. things that I would do um, pretty immediately. You know, if, if, if you're used to, you know, you have a small enrollment staff because you've operated off brand uh, or, uh, or recognition or local area and that's just where everybody goes, you're definitely right. going to have to uh, think of a way to set this up more like um, um, a call center type environment, which nobody wants to probably talk about in higher ed, but you're <laughs> going to need some kind of outbound operational unit to make sure you're in contact and servicing these students from point of you know application through financial aid clearance to prepare for your fall class or summer class or whatever you're doing. Thanks, Thanks, Ken. That, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so, Liz, anything else you want to add? I just had one final question because I'm super curious about this. In terms of yeah. branding, because that, that has come up quite a lot, and we're going to be talking about this in the next few months in terms of marketing and writing, everyone is going to kind of be kind of swarming to this online and um, trying to figure out how to make their way and differentiate themselves. What advice would you give schools? Because like you said, they may be a smaller school. They may not have the infrastructure. They may not have the marketing dollars. But, you know, North Central University is known. They're like, hey, if you want to get a bachelor's or doctor, 100% online, no residential, North Central. And, uh, national, four-week classes. They, they have something that distinguishes them in the yeah. market. Yeah. What advice would you give a school that's like, hey, I, we don't really know where to start. How do we brand ourselves? What do we do? We're going to have to start doing this online. What do, what do they do to differentiate themselves from everybody else that's going to be in the same situation? Seems like it will be quite a conundrum for a lot of schools here. Yeah, I think the first thing that I would do is get with some creative marketing folks and figure out what your value proposition is before you even spend a penny. So what is the value proposition of your institution? You know, a lot of the what I call quote-unquote known universities that are out there um, you know, a lot of them started maybe in the for-profit arena, maybe moved and transitioned to nonprofit. But if you if you have a long history and culture um, that screams um, consistency, longevity, it's the beautiful ivory on the bell tower kind of concept. What I would say is lean on your rich history to build credibility in the marketplace. Um, that's extremely important, but I would also say make sure you understand clearly what the value proposition is that you're going to be offering students. And the second thing I would say is make sure you do a competitive and do a competitive landscape kind of assessment. What is out there that's going on in your area, whether you're going to be marketing um, nationally, regionally, or just locally, understand what your competitors are doing. And guess what? You may have to rethink the way you deliver education to become more competitive. Because at the end of the day, people care about three things, cost, how quickly, and is it going to get me a job? And those are the three things that you need to think about as you're thinking about what is it, my value proposition and what marketing and branding am I going to do? Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, those are, good. Those are the top three, big time. Yeah, I, I, I know that. Okay. 
Ken, um, so I'm going to ask two questions for you. Uh, these are uh, softball questions, I like to call them. Um, sure. Well, now, like, how do you solve <laughs> see that you world up. hunger or anything like that? I'm setting you up. <laughs> <laughs> so, number one, what would you like to be remembered for? And number two, what does the future of education look like to you? Yeah, great question. Here's what I want to be remembered for. Um, developing and supporting students and developing and supporting my staff. Those are the two things that I care the most about. Um, here, now, here. As, as far yeah. as <clears throat> what I see education looking like in the future, um, the reality is um, when I sit here and look at my, you know, man children, I have three boys and a daughter, and I call <laughs> I like my, that. you know, I have, I, have a, I have a 20-year-old, I have a 17-year-old, I have a 6-year-old, I call them my man children. Um, when I'm watching them in high school, middle and high school, and I'm watching how they're learning today, um, traditional brick and mortar schools will still serve a purpose. But I do believe that some that I do believe that all, if not most universities in the next five or 10 years will be heavily blended learning. And I mean a combination mm -hmm. of online and on campus mm -hmm. uh, and more students will move to uh, a virtual uh, classroom of some sort. Um, I'm really going to be interested to see how virtual reality ends up working in this place, yeah. in this space, mm -hmm. totally because right. I can, yeah. you know, I've seen, um, you know, I think I went to a Google education event and I went to an Amazon education event and they showed the virtual classroom. And I was like, this is freaking amazing. Cause I was, it was literally, <laughs> you know, I, I had my virtual reality headset on yeah, and yeah. I was it's sitting cool. in a, like what you would consider a classroom of about 80 and the faculty was in the front and I was very heavily engaged on my technology, doing boating and all of this great stuff that I could see and talk to mm -hmm. the students around me. It was very yeah. cool. So I, I do think, cool. you know, yeah, I think this, what we look at in the next 10 years, it's going to be uh, meeting probably the needs of my kids. Uh, well, not even 10 years. The next five years will be meeting the needs of my kids. But, uh, you know, I talk to my kids. They want to go to like ASU or NAU or traditional school, but they're, they're more about the flexibility learning. Like, I don't want to be in the classroom all the time. And you kind of start mm. pulling up some of the courses and you can see that the, a lot of the universities are starting to get there. They're doing a combination of blending online. But I think just thinking that you're just going to have a brick and mortar campus that students go to all the time, I think is unrealistic anymore. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That's beautiful. Fantastic. Great. Thank you, Ken. Thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thanks Thank for the you. invite. I really appreciate it, guys. You guys are wonderful and ask really great questions. And if there's anybody that I can help, you know, I'm willing to do so. But thank you for your time. Yeah, Feel free to you, share the experience yeah. with your friends and family, Ken. Absolutely. Shameless plug at the end. Absolutely. That's great. So there you have it, our conversation with Ken. Um, so, Joe, Liz, what would you guys think? Go for it. What you shoot? Interesting. Shoot first. Me? Yeah, go first. Yeah, oh, okay. All right, there we go. All right, well, you know what? I think what struck me about the conversation, he's so knowledgeable, such a, a history in education and so much background and, and brings a lot in, in terms of just insight. But I love the point that he made about not just worrying about enrolling, enrolling, getting students in the door, but really focusing on having a quality product. 
because that's, I think, been something that I bang my head against the wall when people are like, online is subpar, online is not a good, online. And I'm like, online can be the most, I went to grad school online. I did a traditional school at University of Florida, but when I went to grad school, I went to grad school online and it was awesome. But he's right, you know, the product has to be there, it has to be found, the classes have to be good, the instructors have to be engaged, the LMS has to function, and if you don't invest in that and you just worry about let me throw some admissions counselors on the phone and try to get students in here your students are not going to stay and they're not going to recommend their friends and family when the experience that you're giving them is not good and that's why I think online gets a bad rap which sometimes makes me so disheartened where I have students saying oh I don't like online I don't like that I'm like online can be so great but you have to invest the technology you have to invest in the foundation and if a school doesn't do that then he's right you know they're just not going to be successful. So I thought that was pretty poignant, especially with everything that's going on right now. No. Yeah, I, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to be fast. I think that with all the disruption right now, the number one worry for colleges and universities is how they're going to recruit students. And, mm. you know, you can look at, it doesn't take you long to go through LinkedIn and see some article that says, you know, this university is closing, that university is closing, yeah, this right. university is losing millions of dollars. You know, where's the students? Nobody knows. They're dispersed across the country. Being a, a, a proud that that I'm a part of this group of, of hosts on the Edip Experience to bring you people like Ken that are yeah. going to tell you like it is and give yeah. you recruiting tips because I don't think any of us want to see colleges and universities fail, which means that, you know, in order to survive, we've got to figure out and work together and, and give each other the help needed to to continue to push education and quality in the United States. And, and Ken's an expert in recruiting. So I'm glad we could provide 100%. that to our audience. Uh, absolutely. 100%. I love that. And, you know, I got to say that, again, for me, the biggest part, uh, my takeaway was that when he talked about the webinar and that he was surprised. And I said, I'm surprised that he was surprised that, you know, who's <laughs> not online, you know, it's just telling about higher education as a whole as an industry and how bureaucratic it can be and how slow moving and, and like Joe's word boring sometimes it could be and, and you know it's like it's, it's way overdue I, I, st- I mean this has to be unfortunately the crisis yeah. that it's going to wake everyone up now and right. there's no excuse now I mean like when you talked about the future is going to be hybrid yeah that means that who, whoever does not have an online program or online classes now is the time to get on and it seems like when I asked them you know what do they want he may, Notice that he, no one said up the cost. There was no question about revenue share. There was, it was how fast can I get it going? What's the, what do I need? What's the technology? Right now, nobody's talking about money because they know because of the crisis, they gotta get online. So okay. anyway, I thought that was a big uh, takeaway for me, but I agree with you, Joe and Liz. I mean, he was a fantastic guest and, and, and it was really timely for what's going on and everything. And I also wanna just do a quick plug because uh, we launched the EdUp Unplugged <laughs> with uh, Liz. So Liz, if you wanna talk about that real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Add Up Unplugged is just my behind-the-scenes YouTube series, web series, where I'll be talking to um, different movers and shakers that can provide insight on kind of off-the-cuff insight about education, about trends, about different um, articles that we might have seen that are coming across and, and just give us more insight into 
how we can address these issues, what we can do, where we can fit in. Everything is changing so rapidly. So we want to make sure we have multiple channels to really discuss and, and, and brainstorm. Like Ken said, if, it's like the bad boys for life. We ride together, we die together. If, if schools are closing, that's not good for my school. It's not even like a competition. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, they close. No, yeah. that means we're exactly. all in danger. So we have to support each other. That's what we're doing as a part of this podcast. That's what my um, web series is going to do. We're going to provide as much information as we can that we can all share, learn, and check it out on YouTube because it's going to be something where um, I definitely want to provide some insight into a lot of the trends and, and cutting edge um, issues that we're all discussing. Absolutely. Please do check it out. You'll see it on the website at experience.com. At the bottom, there's a YouTube icon right there. You can on YouTube or just search um, EdUp Unplugged or EdUp Experience on YouTube and you'll see it there as well. So uh, thanks again, Liz, Ken, for coming on. Joe, for being on as always. And um, great conversation today. Great episode. And until next time. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. That's edupexperience.com. And please feel free to rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode. We really, really appreciate your support. You've been listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Joseph Lustio, Elizabeth Leiber, and Elvin Freitas. Thank mm-hmm. you.